Our summer series uh, this summer, Pastor Kevin and myself will be preaching through the, the faith of Abram here in the book of Genesis. Um, we're going to take pretty large swaths of, of the text, uh, so especially like this week and next week where we're trying to keep these services to an hour, uh, we won't be able to get into every thing that's going on in the text, but we're going to glean what we can from it and our time together, and there's a lot to glean. But tonight we're going to look at Genesis 12 as we tackle this series on the faith of Abram. So let's go ahead and pray before we open God's Word together tonight. Father, we are thankful that you and the Son and the Spirit are triune God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the midst of this world, which feels like it is constantly changing, at times can feel like it is in chaos, that you are that one fixed reality in all the universe that has always been, that always shall be. So we look to you in faith even this evening as we open your word, and we thank you for this word. And it is solid ground on which we may set our feet, and by it we can have strength, encouragement, and we pray that that would be true tonight. And as we come to your word, that you would implant it in our hearts and our minds, and that you would stir in us by your spirit, that we would know that we've been lifted up on high and we have encountered the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, one worthy of our faith. Bless us, we pray, in Christ's holy name, amen. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 20, this is the holy and errant word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot, his brother's sons, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. 
When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away and with his wife and all that he had. And though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. As I said, we're going to look at the faith of Abram in this summer series, this summer. And if you're going to look at the faith of Abram, you first have to start in Genesis 12, because it's there in Genesis 12 that we have the call of God upon Abram's life. And when God calls Abram, he gives him four promises. Now, these four promises, I'm not going to spend time on tonight. We're going to see them fleshed out in the weeks ahead, but he gives them these four promises. He gives them the promise first of people, that he is going to create from him a great nation. He then gives him the promise of place, that he's going to give him a land to dwell in that is going to be his land. He then gives him the promise of his presence, that he is going to be his God, and that he's going to bless those who bless him, and he's going to curse those who curse him, and that he's going to be present with him as his God. And then fourthly, he promises him that uh, he shall send forth a, a Messiah that shall be born forth from the seed of Abram that shall be a blessing to all the nations, the great promise. So those four things. And those four promises will become the very covenantal promises that God makes to Abram in the Abrahamic covenant, and they will be worked out for the rest of redemptive history. And we'll see that as we go through the account of Abram over these weeks in Genesis. But what I want to do tonight is just look at the faith of Abram. The faith of Abram. And I want to do it in three ways. First, I want to look at the fact that faith is a gift of God's electing love in eternity past. Second, having faith means walking in the way and the joy of God in the present. And then third, that faith is trusting in Him for the future. So we'll look at it in those three ways here this evening. First, that faith is a gift of God's electing sovereign love in eternity past. Don't you wonder, when you look at Genesis 12, you wonder, why Abram? Why? Why did God call him? Out of all the people on the face of the earth at this time, why did God select Abram? 
Or you could even go back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Why since the fall from that moment that Adam and Eve fell in the gardens, why out of all the people that came after them, why is it Abram that he calls? Surely he could have chosen one of these other people that we meet in the book of Genesis. Maybe he could have chosen Tidal, king of Goim. Or he could have chosen Melchizedek, that king of Salem. He seems like a pretty good fellow. Why didn't he choose a Canaanite warrior or an Egyptian farmer? Why does he choose Abram? Of course, when we think of him, we think of Father Abraham. Abraham, that will become his name in Genesis 17 when God renames him. Here, Abram. And when we think of Father Abraham, we think of this man that is presented to us that seems very wise. He seems generous. He seems kind. He's faithful and he's faith-filled. And going through our minds is, well, of course he chose Abram because Abram was, was better than the rest of the people on the face of the earth. His head was a little higher than everyone else's. No. In Joshua 24, 2, we read this. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. They served other gods. Abram was a pagan, and everything that came with being a pagan. Listen to the language in the rest of Joshua 24. It's God speaking when he says this. I took Abraham and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. And afterward I brought you out. He is the God who works salvation. Why was Abraham chosen? Why does he become this great man of faith? It's simply a gift of God's sovereign, electing love in eternity past. Paul will say the same thing. Pick it up in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, and Ephesians 2. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. If you have faith, you have no reason to boast. It's a gift. It's a gift that has been given to you by a sovereign God who elected you before the foundations of the earth. We have no reason to boast. If we're going to talk about Abram's faith, and if we're going to focus in on it this summer, then we have to begin here. It wasn't his doing. It was a gift that God gave to him. No sovereign act on his side, no faith on my side. It's his work. George Whitfield was the great preacher of the first great awakening. Whitfield was really the first celebrity in the American colonies. People would come out literally by the tens of thousands to listen to him preach. 
And they would be so moved by his preaching that people would cry out out loud and they would be in tears and they would fall down on their face and crying out to God and and people would follow him from town to town to listen to him preach. His biographer says that when Whitfield would get done preaching and he was tired from preaching, he would seek to retire and get a little bit of rest. But he said after every time that Whitfield got done preaching that there would be a line of people that would be lined up to meet with him privately. They'd been impacted by his preaching. And now they wanted to know by this one that they had been impacted by, they wanted to know what they should do. What should it look like now? What, what do I do, Whitfield? And his biographer says that he would respond the same in counsel to every single person that came to him. He would turn them to God and say, cry out to God. You need to beseech God in prayer. He knew that only God could illumine the mind. He knew that God could only implant faith in the heart. And so as these people are seeking him, and as he is getting all of this praise, and as people are giving him adulation, he is immediately pointing them to the one that matters. It's God that has to give you that faith. Faith is a gift of God's electing love in the eternity past. It comes from him. Second, Having faith means walking in the way and joy of God in the present. Faith is a way of life for those who have been called by God's electing love. It's a way of life. When we think about faith, the, the noun, or we think about believe, the verb, we, we tend to think of Abram, and rightfully so. Paul will say that Abram is the father of the faith in Romans 4 when he's Detailing Abraham's faith, he will say this of Abraham, will say, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul will say, we call him Father Abraham because God's purpose was to make him the father of all who believe. And it isn't just Paul that points to Abraham's faith. The writer of the book of Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of fame of faith, what we call the hall of fame of faith, where he lists all of these great men and women of faith from the Old Testament scriptures. He mentions no one more than he mentions Abraham. It's Abraham that's set before us as the great example of faith. He's the man of faith. He's the father of the faith. And yet, you know what's fascinating? Is that in the Genesis account of Abraham, only one time do we have that verb or noun used, that he had faith or that he believed. Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, and God reckoned it to him as righteous. Only one time. So what's all the rest of it? It's a narrative of him walking in the way of faith. You and I are on a journey with him. And we're witnessing his faith along the way. Having faith means walking in the way and the joy of God in the present. 
Once we're seized by the love of God, once we are given that gift of faith, then we walk in the way with faith. Faith is a way of living. And the text shows us this. God calls Abraham to go. That's the command. And verse 4 says, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. He's 75 years old. And God says, go. And he leaves everything he knows and he goes. He steps out in faith. The narrative then moves quickly and it's trying to show us this very thing that as he went, he went in faith. He walked in the way of faith. It goes very quickly. He took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and they set out to go. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land. Verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country. Verse 9, and Abraham journeyed on, still going. Verse 10, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. So much of what it means to have faith is to have faith in the journey. Have faith as we walk along. As we go from place to place, and moment to moment, and hour to hour. Jesus calls his disciples. He said to them, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, he said, if anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself and pick up his cross. Sounds very similar. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. And then Jesus says, follow me. Sounds very similar. Go to the land that I will show you. It's a way. When Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he calls Andrew and Simon Peter and he calls John and James, what does he say to them? He says, follow me. When he sees Matthew in Matthew 9, the tax collector, and he calls him, what does he say to him? He says, follow me. It's a way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, he is the way in that he is the gate that we must go through, and he's the only access we can have to communion with God. But he's also the way in that we are to live with him. We're to live following him. We're to live in faith in the sphere of Christ as we go from moment to moment and place to place. He's our way. That's what it means to live in faith. In the book of Acts, Christians are referred to five times as those of the way. Only twice are they referred to as Christian. They're people of the way. Follow me, I'm the way, Jesus says. I love how Eugene Peterson said it. He said, following Jesus is just as much about feet It's about ears and eyes. That is, those who are called to live in faith are called to live faith-filled and faithful lives as they go from place to place, moment to moment. He's our way. This means that faith is not simply a momentary decision for us. A saving, justifying faith, there's a moment that we don't have it and there's a moment that we have it. We see that with Abram here in the text in Genesis 12. God calls him and he gives him the gift of faith. 
But it's not just that moment of having faith for the first time or praying the prayer or walking the aisle or being baptized or, jo or joining the church as a member. It's now a life. A life of faith. And I feel that's especially important to remind ourselves now in the midst of all of this. That we are to live the life of faith. Being called in Christ means that He is the way in everything we do. He's the way in our praying. He's the way in our homemaking. He's the way in our working. He's the way in our parenting. He's the way in which we choose what we are going to post on social media. He is the way in which we choose how we'll respond to the news cycle. He's the way in which we choose to pray for our enemies instead of heaping scorn upon them. He's the way in how we respond to injustice and how we respond to lies. He's the way in which we make our way through this world. He's our way. As a person of faith, I am first and foremost, above all else, to be a Christian. To see myself as a Christian. So that when I move from moment to moment, when I move from place to place, I'm doing so walking in the way in faith. Knowing that I'm always living before His face. Faith bridges the gap. Between the visible and the invisible. What we can sense is important. What you and I see and what we feel and what we smell and what we taste. And yet we know that there is something that is inaccessible to our senses that is there. Faith means yielding to something beyond ourselves. It's a recognition that I am not and I cannot be in control. That I am in essence a dependent being. Faith is a way of living in which we believe God is not distant, but He is present. And He is not passive in this world. He is very active in this world. Faith is an act of humility that I am in need of revelation, that I don't know all things, that as much as I can reason, and I put all of these things in order in my head, and I think everybody should think like I think. I realize, no, I need revelation. Even as much sense as it makes here. Faith means that I'm not just living for today, but believing the promises of God and that there's a benefit to living for tomorrow and there's a benefit to living for eternity. Faith means that His kingdom is of chief importance to me, and so I'm praying for it, and I'm laboring for it day in and day out. I live in this world as a follower. I have been called by His sovereign, electing love, and that means that I'm now set on the way. And so I walk through this life as a Christian on the way, seeking to walk faithfully and faith-filled. means 
My walk matters because my faith matters. Everywhere I go. And because faith means walking in the way, it also means that I, as I am walking in the way, get to walk in joy. Because I'm a child of His. And that means that now He looks upon me, in the present, as I walk in the way, as one called by His sovereign electing love, as I'm walking in the way, there's joy in walking in the way. That His smile is upon me. That His eye of love is upon me, in the present. We see that here in the text. To miss the reality. Abram, we're told in verse 6, that he came to the oak of Moreh, and immediately we're told that the Canaanites were in the land. That is, that's a hint to you and I that this is a place of worship. Because then he immediately goes to Bethel, which we know is a place of pagan worship. And what does he do in both of these places? He comes to these places of pagan worship, and what does he do? He erects an altar to worship his God. Because as he's walking in the way, he knows the joy and favor of his God. And so when he comes to a pagan place of influence, he erupts in worship. That joy leads to worship. So often miss this reality. We're focused on the end. And we miss the present joy. You know, Abram, that would have been focused on Canaan and everything that was promised there for him. For us, it can be focused on heaven and glory, and that's a good focus. That's a good thing. But faith calls us to live in the present, recognizing we're before the face of God now, that His smile is upon us now, and that there's joy in living before His face now. And it causes us to worship. Martha, we're often so busy about getting to the result, the thing that we're aimed at, that we, we miss the joy in the moment. She was focused on getting dinner on the table, and we're focused on the next ministry thing that we're about to set on, the, the next box we got to check. And we miss the moment. When I was in high school, I uh, went on a backpacking trip for two weeks in New Mexico with the Boy Scouts. We traveled down to New Mexico on a train, and I was all of 170 pounds at the time, and we were carrying 50-pound packs on our back for two weeks as we hiked through the mountains, but it was worth it. It was worth it for a bunch of boys from the cornfields of central Illinois to get there and to see the mountains. I remember the second day that we were on the trail and we were hiking up the summit and I remember my Boy Scout leader passing me on the trail and as he passed me, he said, Jason, stop looking at the ground. You're missing it. What was I missing? Everything. Sometimes we're so focused on the ascent that we're missing the pleasure and the joy of living in His presence now. Now. He gives you His Spirit now. 
He gives you the guarantee of your salvation now. He abides with you now. He looks upon you with love now. There's joy in His presence now. And that elicits worship as we walk along the way. Finally, faith is a life trusting in Him for the future. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord told him. Abram sets out. It's no small thing. It's quite a, a step of faith. God calls him and he goes. He sets out. Then verse 6 is no small thing either, that when he gets to the oak of Moray there, that there were enemies in the land. Abraham has left everything he has known. He sets out to a place that he doesn't know, and he doesn't know where he's supposed to go, as the writer of Hebrews says, and yet he gets there, this land that is promised to him, and it's filled with enemies. But even worse than that, we all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land, and this is the promised land. This is the land that God promised to him. It's supposed to be a land flowing with milk and honey. God had also promised to him that he would make a great nation from him and that he would make him a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And here he is, 75 years old, and he still doesn't have a child. You think? Not only is God not answering his promises, but he seems to be working against his promises. Seems to have forsaken them. He seems to have undone them. And in the moment, there's a great question: Will Abram trust God for the future? And he moves forward. Derek Kidner, an Old Testament commentator, said this. He said, "God's way is to preface preface his great works with extreme difficulties." And that's often the case. He prefaces his great works with extreme difficulties. There was that famous television show back in the, I think, 60s and 70s, Mission Impossible. And it was always the same. There would be the agent that would receive that recording, and on the recording it would say, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. And then it would say, it is such and such. And then it always ended the same way before the tape went up in flames. It would say, if you choose this mission, and if any, if you or any member of your team is apprehended in this mission, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of you. And we think that's what it feels like. God, you've called me to a mission impossible, to walk the way of faith. And if I fail, you'll disavow me. And here's where the greatest trust is needed. We trust His promises to us are true in Christ and sufficient for all our sins. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in the one who has given us that faith. And if we are going to look at Abram's faith as we go through Genesis, we have to realize that we don't have faith in our faith. That's why this episode is here of Abram going down to Egypt. 
Like, why is it we aren't just taken to the land of Canaan and there all of a sudden it's a land flowing with milk and honey and all of the enemies are quickly driven out and Abraham starts having children left and right and left and right and look at all of these children and look, he's growing into a great nation immediately. Why is it that he goes down to Egypt? Why is it that when Jesus calls the disciples to himself, they don't immediately go into Jerusalem and see him upon the cross and see him buried and then see him resurrected and see him ascend to heaven? Why don't they see that immediately? They've got to walk with him for three hard years. It's because the life of faith is a life of gradually by trial and Testing, learning to trust in God more and more as we wandered into the next step of the future. There's a way to our faith. And the way, though it is filled with joy, it's also filled with trials and it's filled with suffering. Some of those just come upon us. Others we bring upon ourselves, like Abram here in the text. He goes down to Egypt and he knows the promises of God. God's promise that he'll make him a great nation. He's promised that he'll bless him. He doesn't have a child yet. Look, you got to stay alive to have a kid. But he's scared. So what's he do? He lies about Sarai being his wife. That's my sister. Because I'm afraid Pharaoh might look at her beauty and want to kill me so he can have her. Now it's a half lie, it's his half sister, but the intention is a full lie. He has enough faith to set out and to go to a land that he doesn't know, but he doesn't have the faith to stand before Pharaoh. Peter has the faith to walk on water, but he doesn't have the faith to testify to a servant girl. We all falter in our faith. Even the father of the faith falters. Abraham knew the promises of God. Peter knew the promises of Christ. They knew it. They just didn't trust it for that next moment. And that's often where we find ourselves, isn't it? We know. We know what he's promised. We even assent to what he's promised. But in that next moment, it's hard to trust him for what he's promised. This is the great thing that we must trust. We must trust that God's plan doesn't rest on us, but on Him. Now, we have responsibility. We've made that very clear tonight. We're to live faith-filled and faithful lives along the way. We're to be faith-filled and faithful. But God will preserve His people according to His promises. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in the one who has given us that faith. David, a great man of faith, sins horribly, horribly. He looks upon Bathsheba and he wants her, so he calls her to himself. We don't know all the details. Did he rape her? We don't know. 
Just like we don't have all the details of this text, did Pharaoh have relations with Sarai? We don't know. But he was in authority. He had power. And he calls her to himself for one purpose. And he commits adultery with her. And then he has her husband executed for all intents and purposes. Horrible sin. Horrible. And then Nathan the prophet comes to him and and rebukes him for his sin. And then we get that beautiful Psalm 51 where how convicted sinner is kneeling before God in prayer and he's crying out to God. And do you remember what he cries out at the very beginning of the psalm? He says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to According to the fact that I have been faithful so many times before and just messed up this time, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to the fact that I resolve now that I will never do something like this again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to the fact that you know that I'll be a better man down the road. No. Have Mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Your covenant faithfulness. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in the one who has given us that faith. Who has elected us by his sovereign love and given us the gift of faith, and set us on the way of faith, and we trust in Him that He will bring us home to glory. We're called to faith, but not faith in our faith. We're called to faith in the One who is ever faithful to His promises. Think about Abram in this text. You think he goes down to Pharaoh and in Egypt, And he lies. Yet even in the midst of that, God remains true to his promises, doesn't he? He says, I'll curse those who curse you. I'll bless those who bless you. Pharaoh's cursed. Abram goes out of Egypt with more than he went into Egypt with. God's a God of promises. He keeps them. And if you have faith in Christ, All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yours. Yours. Nothing can take that away. Not Satan. Not demons. Not your own sin. They're yours. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father... We give you praise that you are God of electing sovereign love. We give you praise and thanksgiving because we have no reason to boast if we have the gift of faith. All we can do 
is offer you thanksgiving as we walk along the way and walk faith-filled and faithful lives in joy before your face. And oh, Father, how we want to present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. To live as those whom you have purchased by the blood of your Son. To know that there is joy in walking in the way and that we would find that this is the way through this world. We thank you that in the midst of this world that is in such turmoil, you are one who is fixed, one in whom we can place our trust, one who keeps to your covenant promises. And you keep our minds stayed on you. You keep our hearts tied to you. You keep our feet walking after you. For your praise and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.